Um, my name is Jeff Summers, and I am the pastor of student families here at Perimeter, and want to welcome you to week three of Parent University. And we are in a series, if you just wandered in here, we, we generally are talking about ways to equip us as parents to how to work ourselves out of a job in this whole parenting thing, right? And how to equip our kids for independence. And so we're in a series, uh, week three, on sexuality. And we have been talking about, really, the last couple weeks, if you haven't been here, we've been going through and, and looking at all of the scriptures, or almost all the scriptures, that have to do with sexuality and talking about it. Primarily, what is God's plan for healthy and holy sexuality? Um, today, we're going to look at uh, today should be really practical in a lot of ways, a lot of great ways, uh, throwing some things out there that should help us as we're talking to our kids, ways that are very practical to help them try to maintain purity as they, again, move through singleness in their teens and in their 20s. Um, one of the reasons that I, I like talking about this, and I've told this, this illustration before, this story, in several parent use throughout the years, but... Uh, there was a, a student at the, one of the churches Cammie and I worked at. I remember I taught a college class, and there was only about five or six college-age students in there. And I had one of those canned curriculums that kind of went through on sex and dating. And it was literally one of those curriculums that said, like, say this now, you know. And, and it was so, you know, I, I didn't really like it. I thought, ah, this isn't really effective. This isn't working. And I remember... About three weeks in, one of the young ladies in the class said, hey, can I meet with you and Cammie? Uh, Cammie and I taught it together. So can I, can I meet with you and talk after church? And I'm just totally like, sure, no problem. So we meet and we get together. And she said, well, I'm sure you can tell that I've been really upset over the last, you know, really quiet with my head down or my lip quivering as you're talking about this subject. And I'm like, I, I had no idea. I was like, I'm Captain Oblivious. I did not notice that at all, but of course I did the usual, oh yeah, wow, yeah, I've been wondering about that. And um, she proceeded to tell me, what is happening? She proceeded to tell me, that is really bizarre, sorry about that, um, that when she was in college, um, basically she had been a virgin all through high school and uh, went to off to her parents, took her to the dorm, dropped her off with all her luggage and everything, and within two weeks of being dropped off at school, she lost her virginity to a guy she didn't know drunk at a party. Within two weeks of being there. And that really broke my heart, you know, to think, wow, how, how does that happen? That's not an unusual story, I don't think, for uh, American teenagers, uh, even American Christian teenagers. And it's be what it made me think about was the fact that she wasn't equipped. Like, to me, that was on us or on her parents, right, to say, were you equipped to deal with and did you have the right tools? Did you know what, what to do and how to protect yourself, how to, how to move forward and keep your purity intact? And, you know, she had grown up in a very rural environment. Like, her high school, it was a kindergarten through high school in one school. And her mom was the principal so she knew everybody, and so she didn't really date. Like, I think her parents were like, oh, we did our job. She didn't date in high school. Uh, she's fine. She's pure. Check the box. You know, we did what we were supposed to do. And she didn't have any equipping and then went off to college 
and that's what happened. And so this is one of the reasons why I feel like this is so important for us to talk about. You know, we don't, we want to give them the tools that they need to navigate this culture, right? That's the goal that we're trying to do. So let me pray, and we'll, we'll jump into today's, today's discussion. Heavenly Father, thank you for these parents. Lord, we thank you just for the opportunity uh, to raise kids. And Lord, what a privilege and a blessing it is to have children, and yet raising our kids in this particular culture at this time has a lot of pitfalls, and it's scary at times. And so, Lord, we ask you um, to give us guidance by your word and by your spirit that you would teach us. Thank you for these other parents that we can uh, talk to and, and that are in the trenches with us. And, and we pray, God, that you would bless our time today as, as we talk about this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so when I was growing up, I went to the pool in the summer. I don't know if any of you guys used to do that, like where it was like an everyday kind of thing. Like, my parents both worked, and there was a season where we were members of this country club in my little town, and we paid, where we paid the pool fee to go during the summer. And it was a great pool because they had a low dive and they had a high dive, okay? And I remember that very uh, succinctly, what, that when, you, when I would go and I would go out, jump off the low dive, the low dive was a lot of fun. The low dive, you know, you could, you could do tricks, you could do flips, you know, all kinds of things. But, you know, you're kind of intimidated by the high dive. And I saw this over and over again. You would see the lifeguards get frustrated because at our pool, people would go up the ladder and there would be a line and there'd be two or three people on the ladder. And then somebody would get to the edge of the board and they would look over the edge of the board and go, nope, I'm not doing this. It's too high. You know, because when you're up there, it looks a lot higher than it does when you're, when you're down on the ground. And it was always embarrassing, people coming down the ladder and, and all that. And... So I, wa- I want to compare that to this idea, going off the high dive, we're going to talk about that today, that as an illustration, is think about finally having sex, like going through all the barriers, going off the high dive is having sex, okay? And there are pressures that are pushing us up the ladder and towards the end of the board to do that. And the low dive is where we should be staying, like the low dive you know, if you think of the steps that move up to the low dive, you have like holding hands, maybe h- hugging or cuddling on the couch, and let's say maybe a kiss goodnight. If we call that the low dive, right? That's the low dive, okay? But there are things and there are pressures that push people up the ladder to go off the high dive. And the thing about this, and, the, and this will ring true, once you go off, once when I was at the pool, once I went off the high dive, The low dive was pretty boring. I didn't really want to use the low dive ever again. In fact, I don't think I ever used it hardly at all, right? It was just the high dive for me. And so what I want you to take a moment now is to, around your tables, let's talk about uh, this question. So um, this question is, what are the internal and external things that pressure our kids into having sex? What are those things right now? Internally, these could be thoughts or wrong views or ideas that they have about sexuality, or they could be external things like peer pressure, cultural things that are pushing them. So I want you to take a little while and discuss this among yourselves right now. All right. Hopefully you guys have had a good discussion about what these internal and external pressures are. You can make the, the job easier for me to go through the rest of this. So what... Um, 
What are some things, uh, let's just interact a little bit here, what are some things you guys discuss maybe, if anybody want to share some internal or external pressures that are doing that? Anybody have anything you want to share? Yes, no, Bueller? Bueller? No? Okay, well, I'll, we'll just, I'll, then it's all just what I think. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, yeah, are you, are you protecting him too much? Um, Definitely, that can be, yeah, if, if, you, if you protect them too much and then it all hits them all at once, that can be a, an interesting dynamic, for sure. And I, I do think that it's better if you're the one that's having those discussions and, and, and talking about it, rather than them stumbling upon it some other way. Any other pressures? Yes, Steve. Okay, so the, for the sake of the recording, I'm just re- trying to restate what you said. So, so the, this... The special role that fathers have to play, especially with daughters, in making sure they feel loved and secure and that, and that they're, you know, they're built up in who they are in Christ, right? And that they're, they're fully loved and appreciated. Yeah, that can definitely, we could, we could spend a whole pairing of you probably on just that. Yes, go ahead. Okay, yes, that, um, again, just repeating, so that guys, as will, um, guys, will give love in order to get sex. Girls will give sex in order to get love. So this emotional need that they have, want, want that connection. Sure, sure, that can be a driving factor. Um, well, let me, let me hit a few things and just run down here uh, through these different steps that kind of lead up to that, to that high dive. Um, one of these ideas is everybody's doing it, and I'm weird if I'm not doing it, okay? This idea... That in culture, because again, our culture is speaking about sex all the time, right? We've been talking about that the last couple of weeks. So how are we engaged with that, okay? So if, if and this can go to what you were saying about are we, are we protecting our kids depending on what they listen to and stuff. W- one thing first we need, to, we need to point out is it's not true that everybody's having sex. Like the culture and TV and movies and stuff make it seem like everybody is. Uh, there was a report that was out... And it's from 2016 that said 40% of teenagers have had sex by the age of 18, okay? And back in 1988, the number was 57%. So it's dropped almost 20% since I was in high school, okay? So we should be encouraged by that in one sense, but there is this idea that, oh, well, everybody's having sex. And really, they're not. If, it's, if you think by the time they're 18, 40% have had sex, then really there's a lot of people not having sex in high school, uh, depending on where you are and the age and stage that you're at. So, so it's, a, it's a misnomer, first off. This was a, a CDC report in 2016. But the cultural messages are definitely there. One that you will, you've probably picked up on if you listen to popular music at all right now, pop culture, one of the trends that you'll hear is, um, and it's, it's really kind of funny to me, women are sex-starved and all they want is sex, Okay. That is, yeah, I see some of you laughing. You know, if you're married, you're like, this really doesn't work that way. Um, but the culture is not saying that's how it works, right? Uh, the culture is saying it's the, the, oh, man, women are just, they're ready to go. Um, and, and, and here's some, I, I'm not even going to share the lyrics. What's crazy is I went through and read a lot of lyrics. I don't want you guys thinking about the lyrics right before you go to worship next. So we're not going to go over the lyrics. I can't even share some of the lyrics in here. Like, I, I just really wouldn't, um, even though we're all grown-ups here. Uh, 
Selena Gomez's song, Can't Keep My Hands to Myself, you know. Um, you've got Work by Fifth Harmony. When I say these, some of you, who, if you listen to pop music, and some of you can, can look these up if you want to look at it. Rihanna's song, Rude Boy. I remember hearing one of our students sing that song. She, she was like, oh, I love that song. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, that song is about as graphically uh, sexual as any song I've ever seen. It was, it's about five, six, seven, eight years old now. But, it used, I mean, that was crazy. Even Taylor Swift, which Taylor Swift is more mainstream in a lot of her music. She's not overtly sexual generally, at least I feel like. But her song, Dress, has a line you know, I only bought this dress so you can take it off. And then she talks about carve your initials into my bedpost. You know, she's being a little, you know, a little aggressive there. Um, you've got um, the, the song, I was starving till I tasted you. You've got Ed Sheeran, The Shape of You, his song, Don't. A lot of Ed Sheeran songs are, are, are fairly sexual. Um, and then you have songs like it, that talk about hookup culture or, or anything goes. And that, that's one thing I wanted to point out. Like, are any of you familiar if I say the name Halsey? Do you know who Halsey is? Okay, Halsey, very popular right now on the radio. Uh, very, she's, you know, uh, definitely your kids will know who Halsey is if they listen to pop music at all. She's uh, famous as a bisexual, I think is what she would call herself. But she, one of her main songs that's out now uh, is called Bad at Love, okay? And it's one of the only mainstream songs I've heard where she literally goes through and talks about, hey, this guy and me didn't work out, then this guy and me didn't work out, then this girl and me didn't work out, then this girl and me. Like, that's, she, the verses are talking about her relationships, but two of them are with guys and two of them are with girls. And then she ends with the chorus, which is, you know I'm bad at love, but you can't blame me for trying you know, I'd be lying saying you were the one that could finally fix me. Looking at my history, I'm bad at love. I think it's an interesting that she's, there's even like a cry out in her chorus there that's like, I'm trying this. I'm just, I'm just shooting in the dark. I'm trying to satisfy this hole that's in my, my life, you know, and I need someone to fix me. And she's not finding satisfaction, Right in any of the things that she's trying. And it's even in her song, and it's kind of sad. But um, she is definitely uh, popular right now. So, again, remember that the culture is speaking to our children all the time. And if we're not, we're letting the culture define for our kids what's normal. And that's so, so one strategy to combat this idea, when you confront it in pop culture, is you have the remote, right, the TV remote, you can pause it. You can turn the radio down or hit pause on the CD. We don't listen to CDs anymore. On the MP3 player, you can hit pause and have a discussion. Hey, this song by Halsey, what do you think she's meaning? What do you think she's looking for? Why do you think that's driving her? What do you think if she gets that relationship, it's going to satisfy her? What does the Bible have to say? Right? This is, this is my point in all of Parent You, right, is that we have to engage, uh, and so what's great is sometimes, though, we let these moments pass us by. We see it happen in a TV show. Oh, yeah, they live together, and they're not married. And we just accept it and watch it and imbibe the, the, the media without ever stopping and saying, let's have a conversation. 
Is this normal? Do you think it's that easy? Do you think that sex has no consequences the way this is portraying it? Right? These kind of conversations we should be having with our kids and pause, you know, when, when we see it. Um, the next thing is physical desire, right? Physical desire is something that's driving us. We've been talking about that, and that's a, that is a good, des- I mean, the fact that we have physical desires for sexuality is a good thing. It's a natural thing. God created sex. Sex is, is awesome in its proper context, right? We've been saying that from the beginning. Um, so some things here, and this is going to be really helpful, I hope, uh, as we talk about this, because I've only learned this in the last few years, uh, this illustration anyway. So years ago, I was at a church, and I, we actually had a, a guy who had been a pedophile, was getting out of jail and wanted to come back to our church. He had been a member and he, got, he went, so we were trying to figure out what to do as a church, because you can imagine that's going to be kind of interesting. And as we were trying to do that, we went and talked to a, an expert on uh, pedophilia who met with um, people who were in, in prison for sex crimes for 20, 30 years in Florida and just kind of asked him questions and stuff. And it was amazing. The things that he told us really was great in thinking about how sin works, and sexual sin specifically, but it really, you can apply it to a lot of different things when it comes to sin. So what he said is, it's like they're in your brain, you move forward, and there are stop signs. Like, you come to a place where you're like, up oh, in my mind, right, I shouldn't do that. If I, if I cross this line, that would, that's not what I should be doing. And then once you cross that line, it's really easy, but then you go to the next stop sign. He was talking about how people get into addictions, especially like pornography and stuff, right? They go into harder and harder pornography, and we'll talk about that next week. But, and you go through these stop signs and until you, you get into more and more deviant things, okay? And he said what they do with pedophiles in particular is they try to go back and teach them how to rebuild those stop signs when they're going to be released, right? How do, you, how do you put those things back in place? But when you apply this to this whole idea of physical desire and, and how, what happens with us when, or when your teenager is growing up and they start dating, or maybe you can remember this when you started dating, um, that it's, it's very helpful to think of it in these terms. So, Mark, you want to throw up that next slide? So, <clears throat> here's the way it works, and when I say this, I think you'll recognize this to be true, okay? So, let's say guy and girl start dating, first stop sign they get to, let's call it the low dive, right? It's, it's very, to, to, to hold hands with somebody or to have that first kiss is pretty amazing, right? We all remember that, your heart like thumping through your chest like, I'm touching a girl's hand, this is awesome, right? I mean, it's like, it's amazing just to do that or put your arm around a girl for the first time. And you're thinking, wow, you know, I have arrived, you know. Uh, so you, you do that, well then... As your relationship progresses, you might move on to something, you know, you go a little farther in your physical relationship. Well, what happens is you might go through one or two stop signs and then break up, right? Well, guess what? When you start dating the next girl, same boy, different girl, guess what happens? You go right to the last stop sign you were at. You don't go back to where, whoa, isn't that exciting to put my arm around a girl and touch her hand for the first time? No, you're like, hey, I know how far I went before, and you zip right to there if she will let you. Okay, ladies, it happens the same way over here. 
When a woman gives a certain way, oh, yeah, I'll let this happen, I'll let this happen. Well, then when she dates the next guy, he is going to take her, they're going to go as far as she went with the last guy. And then when you move over, you're going to go again up. You see, you see how this works? So this whole idea that we will go just as far as we went in that last relationship and so actually, different people that you date are helping you progress through these stop signs, okay, as you move towards sexuality and actually having intercourse, okay? This is a helpful thing to show your, your child, this idea, and draw it out on a napkin or something when you're sitting with your son or with your daughter and say, hey, guess what? If you're going to cross these boundaries, it's going to be easier next time, and you're going to go right to that spot the next time. Okay, and so <clears throat> we, we do this, and then, and then there is a, a sense, though, can you go back to a previous stop sign? All right, that's a question. So once you have gone up here, can you go back to here? It's not, it's not easy, but it is possible. Just like the professional that I talked to who said, yeah, we teach these people how to build these stop signs. You have to go back and reinforce these stop signs and you have to add intentionality, you have to add accountability, you have to add communication. Like if, if your son or daughter has already gone farther than they wish they had, you go back and say, you know what, then next time you date somebody, let's put, let's, hey, let's have this conversation. This is what, this is where we're going to go. This is what's going to happen. Um, and you talk about it and you say if if this line is crossed then you know we're breaking up or whatever you put accountability in place you have somebody who's asking you regular questions about your relationship okay and this 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 is a helpful way of of looking at it um as you as you move through these so um the next step fear of losing a relationship okay that can be a huge one, especially what we were saying for girls, right? If, if, a, if a girl would give sex in order to keep their relationship um, because she's afraid of, of losing it. Um, now there, how, <coughs> how, might we, how might we battle that one? Um, one thing, I love being Presbyterian because I believe in God's providence. Teaching about God's providence, do they even have a concept and understand that? You know, I've, I've had these conversations with a couple in high school that are breaking up and getting ready to go off to college and stuff. And I love, again, being Presbyterian. I can say, you know what? If God wants you to be together, then nothing's going to keep this from happening. You will marry that person if that's God's will. You can let this relationship go, and God will bring it right back around if he's really in control. So, uh, you know, that is one of those ways that, you know, having a, a good understanding of that. But really, a lot of this, and it was brought up earlier as well, self-worth and how they feel about themselves. We've all met people who have to have, I have to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And you know that they break up with somebody and within a month they're, they're dating somebody again because they just can't be alone. There's a deeper issue there, right, that has to do with how they view themselves if they cannot be alone and they constantly have to be dating somebody. So, so you know, how, how do we interact with them? Um, where is their self-worth coming from? Does it come from Christ? And, or is it the fact that they are in a relationship that gives them worth? Okay, so kind of diving into that with our kids is, uh, is one of the ways that we battle that. Um, the next one might be, I'll say, is curiosity, right? It's, they're curious about sex. 
um, that can be a driving factor for sure. And again, that's a normal thing. But because our culture is placing such a high value on sex and talking about it all the time, uh, it's, it's, it's out of balance. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, I, I really like Diet Coke, okay? So I, if I like Diet Coke and I see a commercial that says, hey, you need to try Diet Coke with mango or with ginger lime. Like I saw a commercial like that on the, at the Super Bowl. I went and bought a six-pack because I like, that sounds pretty good. I'm going to give that a try. But if all of culture was saying, this Diet Coke with lime will change your life, it is the best. I mean, your curiosity would go up and up and up because it is so prevalent, right, in culture that you would see that. You would have to try it. Uh, not just one commercial, but it's in, and that's the way sexuality is portrayed. Again, in all of the music, all of the television, it's, it's there all the time. And so the, that is going to raise the bar on curiosity for them, and we just need to be aware of that. The next one, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Honestly, I feel like this is the number one thing. This is the thing that I wish everybody would have told me when I was a teenager. If you don't put yourself in the position uh, where you are alone and no one's around and there's no accountability, and when you don't do that, you're much less likely to have sex before you get married. Um, When... A guy's girlfriend calls and says, hey, guess what? My parents are out of town. Why don't you come over and watch a movie? That is a recipe for disaster. Okay? Many people who are Christians, who have no intention of having sex before they get married, who put themselves in that position, will have sex before they get married. It, because, again, you're designed to do that. So those stop signs, even if you don't want to go through them, are very easy to go through when you're all alone and there's no one around and the time is right. You know, it's, it, it can happen, even when you have no intention of it happening. And so not putting yourself in that position is a huge thing. And that's where, like, group dating, saying, hey, I think you should date, but why don't you always go to Starbucks and hang out? You can even date just the two of you. You don't have to date in a group, but be at Starbucks. I haven't seen anyone having sex in Starbucks lately. <laughs> I really haven't. And so probably that would be a difficult thing, right? That's a bit of a barrier for people in having sex too soon by being together in a public place most of the time, right? So, so just teaching them, okay? And so here's the thing. You have to have a plan not to go too far, okay? It's not a, it, you may intend not to go too far, but if you don't have a plan not to go too far, then you might go too far, right? Again, going to your girlfriend or boyfriend's house when no one's there, and you, that, is not a, that is not a good plan. That is a plan for things to happen, and maybe we subconsciously know that we want that to happen, so we'll, we'll put ourselves in that position, but having that uh, discussion. So where is the line? Uh, I have teenage boys ask me this all the time. So where's the line? Where's the line? Have you ever thought about this? So in sexuality, only in that area are we like this. Most of us are not like, you know what? I really, I like to sin. So tell me how close can I get to the sin? Tell me how close. I want to get my toes right up on the line of that sin and not go too far. But in sexuality, we totally do that. We're like, well, is this too far? Is that too far? I want to go right up to the line. Well, if you go up to the line, it's really easy to lose your balance and go over the line. 
right? That's how we go through the stop signs to begin with. We all draw those lines when we're dating somebody. Up, oh, we're only going to go this far. We're going to stay on the low dive. And then we start going up the steps. Well, okay, now that's the new line. We'll draw the line there, right? Then we go a little bit farther. Well, let, okay, I'm going to draw the line there, right? And we, and we do that until we're at the edge of the high dive looking over into the water. And we're going, man, this does look really, really high up. But everybody else sure seems to be having fun, right? And sometimes we just, that's what happens. And so we have to have a plan not to go too far. Where's the line? And here's where we can get crazy in culture, okay? Uh, I was talking to my niece years ago, and she said there was a girl in her hometown where her dad was like, I'll pay you $10,000 if your first kiss is your wedding kiss. You'll get $10,000 on your wedding day, okay? And what's crazy is I shared this story because, well, let me ask you, do you think that's healthy? See, here's the thing. I don't think it's healthy because, because you're really just teaching legalism there, and, and you can go really far without kissing. That's the thing. If they just want to follow the letter of the law and their heart's not in it, hey, I'll take the 10 grand. Yep, I can look my dad in the eye and say, yep, it was my first kiss. That doesn't mean all kinds of things didn't happen. They just didn't kiss. Okay, so you've got to be careful about this and teaching our kids just legalism in this sense is I don't think that's the plan. Um, so one of the things, well, you know, what does the Bible say about the line? It, it says we're supposed to get as far away from the line as we can. 1 Corinthians six eighteen says this, flee sexual immorality, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin, we've already we mentioned this verse, you commit is outside the body, but sexual immoral, immoral person sins against his own body. So flee, I call this the Joseph principle, right? We had Joseph who, when Potiphar's wife wanted to sleep with him, what did he do? He ran. He took off. He said, this is not a good idea, right? And he ran. I have just, there's a picture from The Graduate, a little more, more, more modern context there. But yeah, when you're in that position, you run. Um, one, of the, one of the other things, and this is a possible strategy for you, um, that I tell students I say, you know what, you always want to know where the line is, and, and, and that's hard because it can be different for different people in different contexts. But I'll tell you one thing. If, I say if anything is, is pulled up, pulled down, pulled aside, unzipped, unvelcroed, unbuttoned, <laughs> if anything like that happens, run. You flee. If you are kissing your girl and suddenly she sits back and starts unbuttoning, you, you're like, hey, see you later. Grab your keys and run. Because guess what? Also, you really don't ever have sex with all your clothes on. Okay. You have to break that rule somewhere if sex is going to happen. And I'm not saying that you haven't crossed the line before you get to that point, right? You may have, you may have crossed some lines before then, but if all your clothes are on, you're, you're probably not going to be that regretful on your wedding day, right? Um, so that is a line. It may not be the line you would draw. I'm just saying it is a line, okay? Uh, again, kind of like, hey, if you date, be in public places. Uh, one of the next ones is... Um, Lack of accountability, okay? And this one, just quickly, because we know what accountability is. Teach them to seek accountability on their own. Teach them. I, I have a group of guys I call a fight club that I meet with that are high school juniors and seniors, and we meet and we talk about accountability questions, and we ask questions like, hey, how far are you going with your boyfriend or girlfriend? And, and how are you doing in the area of things that you're viewing and different things like that? But the main reason I meet with them as juniors and seniors is so they'll go off to college and get their own group together and meet with a group of guys and say, hey, can you hold me accountable? I teach them to find their own accountability in these areas. So we want to do that. Uh, the next one, the, cu- the culture says it's normal if you care about somebody. 
If you care about somebody, it's normal that we are gonna that, that we should have sex. Part of this is that we need to be careful about is this whole idea, our culture is in love with love. And the Bible has a lot to say about love, and we could again spend a whole parent you on this on this idea. But really, in the Bible, there's three different words for love. Well, there's more than three, but the three that mostly people focus on is agape, which is the way God loves us, and it's an unconditional love. There's phileo, which is like a brotherly type of love, and that's the love most of us think about. It's a reciprocal love, right? I love you as long as you love me is the way we think about that kind of love. And then there's, a, there's, a, there's another love called um, eros, from which we get the word erotic. Eros, eros is, erotic love is really lust, okay? And our culture confuses all of these altogether. We pretty much think, I fell in love means I, you know, really I, is more eros than it is the other kinds, okay? And we get into this, because the Bible really talks about love being an action, that it's not just a feeling, it's an action and a decision. If it wasn't an action and a decision, we couldn't have this in Matthew. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For if you love those who love you, which is phileo kind of love, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And what he's saying is, hey, as a believer, as a Christian, you have the ability to love even your enemy. Because it's a decision and it's a choice. It's an action that you move into. Okay, and so that is, we need to teach our children about what real love looks like and, and that it's a commitment is involved in love. That it's not something you just fall in and out of. That it's not just some romantic, you know, whimsy that you move into. Okay? Um, last couple things and, and then we're wrapping up here. One is that just pornography and the hookup culture drives us towards sexuality. Uh, our kids, again, are seeing this, and it's around them all the time. They're thinking it's normative. Uh, sexting is one of those things that comes out of that culture, right, that our kids can get caught up in easily. And I talked about this when I talked technology, but, you know, sexting has changed those stop signs that we talked about going through. Sexting has really changed that whole idea and sped it up in a lot of ways. Um, for example, um, there was a guy, a girl that, uh, that I heard about who had gone on a cruise, and she'd had, like, her first kiss, you know. And, and so here she had her first kiss. This was, like, May, June. And then she was ready to give up her virginity by September. And you think about going through those stop signs. When I was in high school, that took years to go through those stop signs, you know, your first kiss might have been in seventh grade and, and, you know, depending on the person and a lot of different factors, obviously. But, but it wasn't usually like within a month you're ready to have sex after your first kiss. But this girl was, and I was like, what is going on? And really, it came to me that sexting was pro- probably the primary culprit. Because what happens with sexting is they were going through the stop signs mentally and emotionally without even needing to be together. They weren't even dating. They were just constantly in contact. See, this thing... They are constantly in contact with each other all day long, and it can th- make you go through those stop signs much faster. Does that make sense? Uh, another situation that happened, I knew a guy years ago who was in my, my fight club who got the wrong number of a girl. Uh, they thought they had a mutual friend, and then they ended up becoming friends on Snapchat, and then they found out they didn't even know the same person. One was in another state, like five states away. And then they were kind of like, hey, maybe we should start showing each other some pictures and stuff, because they knew they would never see each other in real life. 
So the tantalizing temptation to do risky stuff online was so much greater because they knew they'd never see each other, right? You can go through barriers with the phone that you wouldn't do in real life. And so again, it makes you, it makes you go through those stop signs faster and in ways that you probably shouldn't or that normally you would not do, okay, because of that. So the last one is alcohol and drugs is <coughs> certainly one of these things. A lot of people lose their virginity when they don't mean to because they're inebriated in some sense or form, right? Um, they may think, oh, that's not going to happen to me or whatever the girl I started this whole conversation with, right? Lost her virginity drunk at a party. If she hadn't been drunk, she probably wouldn't have lost her virginity in that, in that context. So obviously it lowers our inhibitions and uh, that can make us much more susceptible uh, to that. So the last thing and <clears throat> is, so thinking about this idea of abstinence and equipping our kids and saying, okay, yeah, how, how are you going to do this? Uh, again, I was listening to that, one of those Tim Keller sermons, which we did put on our Facebook page, a link to those. Um, in one of those sermons, he, he mentioned this idea that, you know, when you're hungry, like if you're out driving in the country and you're starving and there's no stops, there's no good place to eat, you just get hungrier and hungrier, like you are ravenous by the time you find a good restaurant, right? Or, or if someone is telling you, no, you can't eat, you really get hungry. But if you're dieting or you're fasting and you're saying, you know what, I am choosing because of a higher reason not to eat, then it totally changes the way you look at food. And really, that's how we need to teach our kids to approach this idea of sexuality. If we're just saying, no, you know what, this is something really great, and you just can't have it, then it makes it more and more tempting as something that they want. But if they really can say, you know what, I understand God's purpose for this and why he's designed it this way, and I choose to enter into this abstinence, it has a lot more uh, power without, without as much, uh, it, it can make, it doesn't make it easy. I'm not ever saying this is easy, but the chances of them uh, having the right attitude towards it is much better. Um, we have this passage, in, and I'm going to close with this, in First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8, says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness." Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Right? This is the call that we have to impart to our children. When we walk along the road, when we rise up, when we lie down, right? Is, you know what? You were called to be holy. And that's why we, we want to focus on holy sexuality, healthy sexuality. God created us for this purpose. And this is the idea, right, that we want to impart to our kids. So Cammie's going to come up now and um, share with you for a moment. I think I'm on. Am I on? No? Am I on? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Hi, guys. <sighs> I have a cold, so my head's all stuffy. And I feel like um, this topic has just been hard for me. I don't know about you guys. As I was talking about our time together um, and Jeff and I were talking about it, 
I was just like, I feel like this is one of the hardest parent use that we've done, but it, because it's a topic that's just so important. And when I was a teen, I had to figure it out by myself. It was so confusing. Um, my dad wasn't around, and my mom was busy with her own stuff, and I honestly didn't know how to ask for help. And so um, I wasn't raised in the church, but I knew sex before marriage is wrong. But I also heard very clearly the idea that um, once you had sex, you couldn't stop. And so I didn't really know how to put those two worldviews together. I didn't understand that that was kind of a secular worldview of sex is inevitable and a, a biblical worldview of sex is set apart. I didn't know how to put those together, and I didn't understand, and I didn't, I didn't really have anybody to talk to about it. Um, and so the truth is that the battle to understand God's purpose and plan for sexuality doesn't go away when you say your wedding vows. And even into adulthood and parenthood, I've struggled, and we've struggled. And I think that's why it's such a hard topic to talk to our teens about, isn't it? Like, I don't want to pass on my mistakes. I don't want to give them bad advice or to share my confusion. I want my kids to navigate this topic better than I did. And so I was thinking about this. Jeff and I, I really think God gives us parent you because we talk about these things. You guys hear about it for an hour. We talk about it for hours and hours and hours and hours. And the other night I was talking to one of my teens because I have really three in my house. I was talking to one of them and, and they were sharing about a girl at school and this girl at school identified as a bisexual. And um, my teen met this girl for coffee and you know, as my teen's sharing about this, I just hear this brokenheartedness over this girl's situation. And the girl had been bullied, and she was confused, and insecurities and loneliness made her heart fertile ground for kind of the lies of this world. And my teen knew that this girl's understanding was wrong or off, or, but felt kind of powerless to help in response to it. And in that conversation, <laughs> and I share this because I was just getting my cold and we went upstairs and I was going to bed. And that's always when they want to have the conversation, right? I mean, you, I've literally, I had my iPad on the bed. I just brushed my teeth. I was ready to climb into bed and my teen comes in and it's, you know, 1030 at night and I'm just going, yes. But I felt, I heard that hopelessness in my teen, and I realized that one thing I have given my ch children, my teens, is this idea of truth. And that truth is hope. It's hope because it's not grounded in me or my failures or my success or my story. It's a hope that's grounded in the gospel, that God is a redeemer, where I see brokenness and hopelessness God sees the power, his power made complete. So I don't have to be afraid to talk with my teen about sex. Because God's love can make me brave and courageous. And he can guide me in those conversations. I'll tell you, when I was talking to my teen this past week, I'm sitting there and, and I'm hearing all of this stuff about this girl. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know what to say in response to this. You have to guide me. You know, I'm not saying this out loud, but I'm saying it in my heart. You know, like I have no idea how to how to navigate this. And so 
And God shows up. I mean, I think that's what's so encouraging to me as I've parented teens now already for seven years and counting and for way longer than I want to. Um, God shows up in these conversations. And so we don't have to be afraid and we don't have to get it right because he redeems. And I think sometimes it's when we feel the least prepared and the least capable and we recognize our need for God's intervention that he is the most glorified and that things happen the way they're supposed to. You know what I mean? So I haven't done everything right. Believe me, my husband and my children will tell you that. But I have tried to point my kids towards the gospel always. And I think that's something. So let me pray for you. Dear God, we just come before you and all of this stuff, high dives and stop signs and, oh, I know even if I just look at the statistics, not everybody in this room has done everything right. And we need you. We need you to redeem our personal stories. We need you to redeem the stories of each of our children. We need you to bring holiness where there is confusion and where there is willful rebellion. And I just pray. I pray that you would equip us as parents through the power of the Holy Spirit to have conversations with our children. I pray that you would equip us through the power of the Holy Spirit to trust you, grow our faith, help our unbelief, and help us to depend on you in those moments when we are tired and spent and we don't want to engage with our teens, but they want to engage with us. Give us the words. Give us the wisdom. Give us your wisdom. And be glorified in our relationship with our teens, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so two things. We did have lifestyle last week was the, was the high school retreat. Um, just wanted to tell you all that. And we have one more week of parent year. Are there any other um, announcements? Oh, and I was going to remind you guys of our Facebook page. I am trying to put resources up there. There are some books that I did want to tell you all about. Um, Jeff had mentioned Love Thy Body by Nancy Piercy. If you are on Facebook, she has a Facebook page that you can like, and it is very, very good. Um, She puts forth interesting articles that I've found really helpful to just make me aware. And then um, somebody else, another parent in here told us about, um, oh, intimacy. What is it? Authentic intimacy. Authentic intimacy and that's by Linda Dillo, which is great. It's a great website for you to check out. And then um, there's a book I'm reading right now called Gay Girl, Good God, which is excellent. Um, and I would really recommend it. And then what were the other? There was a, another couple books. I'll put those on the website. What's your other thing? Oh, you've got. Oh, you're on the yeah, I wanted to make you aware of um, something we're doing. You may hear if you have high school students, you may hear about this. We, we're doing a prayer initiative called the 610 um, that we're going to be doing in April. Now, let me explain what this is. So it's one month, one school, one prayer. And the idea is, if you think about all of us in this room, we all have people that don't know Christ that we're praying for. And so kind of our, all of our prayer power is kind of scattered, right? We all have different relationships and different things. So the idea about the 610 is what if we, like a laser beam, could focus all that prayer power in one place? So we we did this in this in this fall for Northview High School, so we're going to pray the month of April for Duluth High School. And the idea is six ten. We pray from six in the morning to ten o'clock at night. Basically, every waking hour, thirty minute slots you can sign up for, 
and pray for that school. And we're really just praying for God to pour out his spirit on one high school. And we're going to pray for a month and see what God does. Um, God's still doing some things at Northview since we prayed, and, and several students came to Christ through this initiative, and it was really a powerful, cool thing. And a lot of it is for our students to see God at work, right? To, they, they really they believe a lot of these things about God as they're trying to decide are they a Christian or not. But they, they, one of the ways they doubt is they say, is he real? I want to see his power. And this isn't a way to tempt God. Certainly God is not obligated to do something. But it is a way to say, you know what, God? We're powerless to reach this high school, but you're powerful. How can we really you know, put our money where our mouth is and pray uh, for a month for this school? So anyway, you're, I would encourage your kids to sign up and do a 30-minute slot once a week, just one thirty minutes to, to pray for Duluth. And we'll have prayer guides and a website and all kinds of different resources. And you can also sign up and pray. If you want to spend 30 minutes in prayer for Duluth High School, uh, we'll pick a different school uh, in the fall. And so the idea is we're going to work through all the schools in our area and then start over and just keep praying uh, for the schools. But we're trying to focus that prayer power on one school at a time. So anyway, I wanted just to make you aware of that in case you see the stuff. So, all right, that's it. Thanks for coming.